three readings, short ones, beginning at Genesis 8, verses 20 and 21, starting with Noah at the very end of the flood. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord, and taking some of all the clean animals and clean birds, he sacrificed burnt offerings on it. The Lord smelled the pleasing aroma and said in his heart, Never again will I curse the ground because of man, even though every inclination of his heart is evil from childhood. And never again will I destroy all living creatures as I have done. The second reading is from Exodus 30. This is 34. Then the Lord said to Moses, take fragrant spices, gum resin, anica, and galbanum, and pure frankincense, all in equal amounts. The work of a perfumer, it is to be salted and pure and sacred. Grind some of it to powder and place it in front of the testimony in the tent of meeting. There I will meet with you. It will be most holy to you. And the third reading, coming forward several centuries, to 2 Corinthians 2, 14 and 17. St. Paul here. But thanks be to God who always leads us in triumphal procession in Christ and through us spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of him. For we are to God the aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To the one we are the smell of death and to the other the fragrance of life. And who is equal to such a task? Unlike so many, we do not peddle the words of God for profit. On the contrary, in Christ we speak before God with sincerity, like men sent from God. This is the word of the Lord. Jerry, thank you for reading those so well. Shall we just pray together for a moment? Heavenly Father, we just ask that through your living word you would bless us this morning so that the very aroma of Christ may leak out into this great nation of ours. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Morning, everybody. <laughs> How are you all smelling this morning? You might just like to sniff your neighbor surreptitiously. I had a quick whiff with Mike and Norman just before I got up. Hints of imperial leather and brute, I think. It was was quite good. <laughs> but smelling is big business. The global fragrance industry is worth over £20 million annually, so getting us to smell good is really big business. The human nose is said to have roughly 400 receptors, which according to research, new research in America has just come out, according to research in America, we can detect over a, a trillion different smells. It's unbelievable, isn't it? Mind you, that's nothing compared with our canine companions. Dogs are reckoned to have a thousand times 
better smells than us. What's that, Norman? Your dog's got no nose? How does he smell? Awful, yes. Had to get that one in. Had to get that one in. And it's the same in my business, in the wine trade. Uh, smelling descriptions are big business. Take these trade tasting notes from a 2005 Puy Fumé Sauvignon Blanc at a mere 80 pounds a bottle. Early vintages disappointed with odors of cat spray and burnt toast. But this harvest is exceptional, pale golden green in color with considerable intensity on the nose. It has an exceptional range of floral, exotic, and citrus fruits and aromas such as white blossom, hawthorn, broom, and white nettles and grapefruit with a slight hint of wet dog, which so disappointed in previous years. These aromas are enhanced and strengthened by the mineral hint of gunfleet, that stone that's been heated up by the sun, tempted to give a fruity roundness to the nose with notes of pears, green apples, and citrus fruits. The finish brings to mind a pleasant lemony freshness, and that's before we've even tasted it. Sometimes I love the wine trade. So that's why we're still sniffing and... and so, so what's this got to do with Paul's second letter to the Corinthians? Well, let's start by putting his letter in context. Paul is in Troas, a favored Roman colony on the northwest coast of Turkey, and he is an anxious and worried man. He's already been over to Corinth to correct some misunderstandings that resulted from what we understand as the first letter to the Corinthians. And while he was there, he had an altercation with someone in the church who questioned his motives. The Corinthians didn't immediately deal with this, and Paul left brokenhearted. Then from Ephesus, he wrote a difficult letter instructing them how to respond to this person. Well, the letter was taken by Titus to the church, and Titus was due back but with their response. But Titus hasn't showed up. Worse than that, he's also carrying some money from the church. So Paul's really worried that he could have been robbed on the way. Paul, Paul is so worried he can't effectively minister in Troas. So he moves on to Macedonia and he writes this, the second letter to the Corinthians, the church that he founded and the church he loves so dearly. Now what's interesting, with all this traveling about that Paul's doing, he's still in the Roman Empire and he's still a Roman citizen. The Roman Empire at its peak covered 2.3 million miles of territory. It's vast. But you see, the point is, everywhere he goes, both he and the churches and the people he's ministering to are always under the political and cultural influences of Rome. Paul, when he's writing this letter, is eager to draw attention away from his troubles. So in writing from one part of the empire to another, he uses an illustration his readers would have been familiar with, a Roman triumph or massive victory parade. In verse 14, he talks about the triumph of Christ in whose triumphant procession Paul, by the grace of God, finds himself. 
The triumphant procession is an analogy of the triumph awarded by the city of Rome to a successful military leader. To be awarded a triumph, the general had to, had to fulfill four requirements. Firstly, he had to command two legions, that's at least 10,000 men. He had to have won a significant victory and killed at least 5,000 enemy. He needed to be a senior magistrate with powers of imperium, so he was a high-level high authority, and he had to bring the army back to Rome to signify that the war was over. And the procession itself ran strictly to order. Firstly were the senators, headed by the magistrates, then the trumpeters, then white bulls for sacrifices, then the coat of arms of the military leader, and then finally the captured enemy chiefs. Also in the procession were the lictors. They were like the civil servants, and they carried bundles of white birch rods with bronze axes in the middle, tied with red leather ribbons. Very, very symbolic. The birch rods bundled together signified, together we stand, the bronze axe was the sign of authority to punish citizens with death. The ribbons, the restraining power of that authority. And then around each bundle, there was a laurel wreath for victory. And then came the incense bearers, waving their censers and spreading the fragrance of incense everywhere. The general himself was painted red he wore a purple toga with gold embroidery, and he was riding in a chariot with a slave beside him who had very special duties. Because to ensure that the whole thing didn't go to the general's head, the slave had constantly to whisper in his ear, respiticate hominium te memento, which of course you all know stands for look behind you, Remember, you are only a man. Can you imagine being in Donald Trump's limousine? <laughs> yes. I'll ask you, think a bit later what you might actually whisper to him, but that's, that's another story. Look behind you, remember, you are only a man. And then finally in this procession came the army, leading the captured enemy. They were destined to be slaves or to be slaughtered in the arena. So for the captured enemy, the fragrance of the incense bearers wasn't the triumph of life, but the smell of disaster and death. The ceremony began with the imperator or general entering Rome in his chariot. He's met at the gate by the Senate, and then, come, and then he comes into the procession, and he's awarded the triumph. He is the triumphator. And all this while, the incense bearers would have been waving their senses, so the air was really heavy with this sweet fragrance. Then the parade goes through the streets of Rome along a strict route. Frequently, the captured general or ruler would be taken to the central prison, prison and strangled. So no wonder it says in verse 16, to the one, we are the aroma that brings death. To the other, the aroma that brings life. That would certainly be how the captured general would have reacted to the fragrance around him. 
Well, then the general, the triumphator, rides to the forum. He climbs Capitol Hill to the temple. At the temple, he sacrifices the white bulls that were in the procession to Jupiter, and he offers his wreath to the gods as a sign that he has no ambitions to become the king of Rome. So that's the picture that Paul is painting. That is something he's describing to these churches, to these fellowships, something with which they would have been very familiar. Now, what is Paul saying? What he's saying is this. Through Christ, God the victor has vanquished his enemies. And Paul sees himself in this triumphant procession, not as a general, not even as a Roman soldier, but in three different ways. Firstly, Paul sees himself as a captured slave, as an enemy soldier or slave taken captive by Christ. Then he sees himself as an incense bearer. That bearer. He is one of the incense bearers scattering the sweet fragrance of Christ. And then finally, he sees himself as the very fragrance itself. As a sacrificial offering, he became the very aroma of Christ itself. A captured slave, an incense bearer, and then actually the fragrance itself. So let's just briefly look at those three. As a captured slave in the triumphant possession, as it says in 1 Corinthians 4, for it seems to me that God has put us apostles on display at the end of the procession like those condemned to die in the arena. It is a triumph in defeat. Paul calls himself the slave, doulos in Greek, of his Lord, Kyrios, Jesus Christ. Curios, Lord, means someone who has undisputed possession of a person or thing. He is the master or the owner in an absolute sense. But doulos, slave in this sense, has two meanings. In the first sense, Paul is a slave in the triumphant possession of Christ because he has an utter obligation of love to his master. And Paul is linking himself up with the slaves of the Old Testament because being a slave was also a title regularly used in the Old Testament by Moses, Jeremiah, Joshua. They were all proud to be slaves of God. So when Paul uses the same title, he is seeing himself in their succession. Their greatness and glory lay in the fact that they were slaves of God and so does his. So the slave of Christ describes two great things, the obligation of a great love and the honour of a great office. Then he sees himself as an incense bearer, as a vessel through which the aroma of Christ is released to others. Just as we have the same treasures in jars of clay to show that we are this all-surpassing path that it comes from God. And it's the same idea here. God takes us, simple clay pots or censers with holes in them, and fills them with his glory. We are fragile, we are flawed, we are cracked, and we are leaky. But it is only because we are fragile and flawed and cracked and leaky, with lots of holes in us, that the fragrance of Christ can waft through. Shiny new pots with tight lids 
are useless to God. Paul says it was times when he was hard-pressed, perplexed, and persecuted. Those were the times when, through the power of weakness, the life of Jesus is revealed in our body. The aroma of Christ can only waft out through our vulnerability, through our weaknesses. When we lose, he wins. When we are weak, he is strong. When we are dependent, he is powerful. And when we are tempted, he is triumph, triumphant. And if that sounds a bit crazy, just remember, Jesus doesn't promise to calm every storm in our life. But what Jesus does promise is to calm us in the storms of our life. So if you're not whole and weakly, the fragrance is lost. And then thirdly, he describes himself and us as the fragrance itself. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, which is your spiritual worship. Firstly, we are slaves to Christ. Secondly, we are a leaky vessel with holes in it to waft the aroma of Christ. And thirdly, Paul says, we are also the very fragrance itself, a sacrificial offering pleasing to God. For we are to God the aroma of Christ amongst those who are being saved and those who are perishing. Thirdly, Paul says, we are the very fragrance itself. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. The Greek word for aroma, euida, means a fragrance or a really sweet sense. And it was the same word we heard when Jerry read our Old Testament readings. It's a fragrance that is pleasing to God. This formula in the Old Testament days was only burnt with other sacrifices by the Levitical priests during the temple offerings for sin. But to God, it's a holy fragrance. The New Testament teaches us that we are the priesthood of all believers. Every Christian, every Christian is a representative of Christ interceding on behalf of lost mankind. We are his priests. So, because we're his priests, we too have possession possession of this holy formula, this formula for the sweet fragrance that is the atoning sacrifice of Christ on the cross. So do you see the picture now that Paul is painting? In Christ's triumphal possession, we are captured slaves, we are leaky vessels, but we are also the very aroma of Christ himself. But there is a paradox in verse 16. To those who believed, he says, the gospel is like the fragrance of life, for our light and, and troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. But to those who reject the gospel, like the Athenians in Acts 17, Paul said that the stench was like death in their nostrils. Acts 17.32, when they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered. It says in John's Gospel, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life. Perhaps a good analogy is, is the spring. In the springtime, we have the wonderful scent of spring flowers, and it's a sweet, lovely scent for very, very many of us. 
But for any of you who suffer from hay fever, it can be absolute torture. And when the fragrance of Christ flows in and out of us, God is honored. The elect of God will love us, and they will get drawn to the curios, to our Lord. But others will hate God and be repelled. And then in verse 16 he says, and who is equal to such a task? And it's a very simple answer, none of us. Paul was painfully aware of his insufficiency to accomplish any, anything, in any way, anything in that sense. Not that we are competent to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant. No one, no one is adequate in terms of our human ability to accurately express the life of Christ. We are not that good, so we shouldn't attempt to be like Jesus. What, I hear you crying, don't be like Jesus. No, we shouldn't attempt to be like Jesus. Instead, we should let Jesus be in us. Instead, we should let Jesus be in us. We should let the mystery of the gospel, Christ in us, do what we can't. Someone once said to me, preach, when I just come to faith, they said, preach the gospel of Christ. And then he added some very wise words. He said, use words if you have to. Preach the gospel of Christ. Use words if you have to. So there we have it, just to conclude. We are in Christ's triumphant possession, not as generals, as imperators, not as all-conquering generals or lictors, civil servants, or victorious soldiers or senators or magistrates. We are there firstly as slaves to Christ with an obligation of great love and an honor of great office. Secondly, as incense vessels, dented and leaky and vulnerable, but with lots of lovely, lovely holes. And then thirdly, as the very holy formula of sacrificial fragrance, the very aroma of the crucified Christ itself. In the Roman procession, everyone could smell the aroma of incense during the parade, but the smell meant radically different things to the emperor of Rome, seated on his imperial throne, as the fragrance rose up to him, it was the pleasing smell of triumph and victory. And in the same way, in our Christian lives, the aroma of Christ that rises up to God is pleasing and holy to him. For the victorious army, the sweet smell of incense was the fragrance of life. Just as it is for those who glimpse Christ, as we heard just a little earlier on in this service, who glimpse Christ through us. Praise be to God. But for the defeated captives, for those who turn their back on the gospel, the fragrance is the smell of death. Although we minister to people, in reality, it is God who is our audience. Our faithfulness causes the sweet aroma of the knowledge of Christ to be known to people. And that fragrance ascends to the very throne of God. Amen. Thanks be to God who always leads us in triumphal possession in Christ and through us spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of him.